HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome back to Heritage Radio Network on tour. I'm Eli Sussman, host of The Line. We are broadcasting live from Charleston Wine and Food. We've been having a great day with tons of wonderful chefs, restaurateurs, winemakers coming through. Of course, we want to thank the Julia Child Foundation for making our coverage possible. And, of course, Charleston Wine and Food Festival for having us down here for the fifth year in a row. I am joined right now by Chef Sarah Bradley. Hey, Chef. Hello, hello. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule down here to come hang out with me in the podcast tent. Yeah, thank you for having me. And, and hang out and share a little bit of your story. So uh, you have a restaurant, Freight House, in Paducah, Kentucky. Yeah, and. Paducah. You have um, had a, a huge amount of success in the last couple of years, so we'll try to unpack all of it, but I want to kind of start at the beginning. You, are, you were born in Kentucky. Yeah, born and raised in Paducah, and uh, I got out of Paducah the day after I graduated high school. I thought I was done with that place, and then 15 years later, I moved home. So growing, before we talk about your great escape from Paducah, <laughs> you... You're born there. You're, you're going to high school there. Is there opportunities for you there and you wanted to get away or was there nothing really there for you and you, you had to get out of Paducah? You know, I think it's, it's an interesting question because I think that everyone kind of creates their own opportunities. Um, but there wasn't any, anything that really was pulling me to stay there. So uh, I went off to college. My... Um, you know, I, my mother is uh, Jewish from Western Kentucky. My father is raised in the mountains in Eastern Kentucky. So I decided I'd get out and I'd go to Central Kentucky, right smack in the middle, and, and go to college. I wanted to be a, a statistical psychologist. I thought rat research was going to be my thing. Really? Yeah. And, and what drew you to that as a field? What, what was compelling enough to think uh, that that was going to be your life's work? I love numbers. Like, and I now can look back, like, and see owning and running a restaurant, how important, you know, crunching numbers is. But I just wanted a job where I could sit around and crunch numbers all day. And I loved psychology, and I just thought that would be super fun. And then I did that for about two months after I graduated and quickly changed my mind. So you're in college, you're, you're pursuing a degree, and what is the turning point? And you say this doesn't work, and did you drop out, or did you finish your four years? Yeah, no, so I finished, but um, I always was 
finding a way to work in a restaurant, whether it was like the local pizza joint or a bar or a corporate restaurant, whatever it was, I always was trying to find a way to figure out how to get in the kitchen instead of instead of studying. You know, I graduated. We can be honest. It wasn't like, you know, I didn't have... You didn't work I didn't have that hard. Yeah, I graduated. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but I always had way more fun in the kitchen. And that, that was as a child, too. I would have rather been in the kitchen than outside playing. Did you work at a restaurant while you were in college? I did. I worked at, like, a pizza place. I worked at a... You know, an Italian restaurant, worked at like, you know, a corporate steakhouse. I kind of did it all. Um, but it was, it was definitely, I realized that this was way more fun. When's the moment when you decide, I'm going to go to Johnson and Wales? I think this is a career that I could really, uh, this is something that I can make into my life's work. Um, shucks, I don't even know. I think it was just a longing. All, I always wanted to do it, but it just didn't seem feasible. Why? You know, I think that uh, a lot of times people think that they ha- need to go to college and get this four-year degree and pursue something. You know, for you know, years ago, you didn't really have to go to. You still don't have to go to college to, to work in the culinary field. Um, you're going to get most of your information working in the kitchen on the line. You know, that's how it's going to come about. But I just kind of had this perception that I needed to go and get this four-year degree, and. Um, the whole time I was just setting myself up to... Looking to, back, yeah. do you feel like it was valuable? I, I obviously, you know, I speak primarily to chefs on my show and some restaurateurs, but I would say that the vast majority of people that I have on my show, they, they went through culinary school. They went a more traditional route. Uh, when you look back now, and also since you have people that now obviously work under you in your restaurants, uh, do you advise people to go to culinary school? Do you think it's a useful practice still in this day and age? You know, I don't, I don't know that it's just going to culinary school or just going to college, but I think it's a really valuable lesson to say, I want to go and complete this task, and I'm going to see it through, and I'm going to finish it. Because, um, I mean, that's what chefs do every single day. We make a prep list. We have a task. We see it through. We finish it. We move on to the next one. So, you know, I've, I think that a college education is really important. Um, but I don't know that culinary school is a is a definite for everyone. I don't know that four year college is a definite for everyone. Um, you know, my path it's it's led me to where I am. It's worked out pretty well, so I wouldn't change anything. Were your parents supportive of your idea to? So you graduate school, you say, I'm into this cooking thing. Do they? back you 100%? Do they kind of roll your eyes and say, 100. we cannot believe that you're pursuing this? Or 100. You know, I um, I didn't have the money to go to culinary school, so I asked my grandfather, who was an immigrant, um, to help, who, had, who had been successful, if he could help me out. And I think that, in his, you know, I remember asking him with tears in my eyes if he could help me afford culinary school. And he told me, of course I will help you with education like he, like it was in I could see in his mind he thought why would my granddaughter even be upset asking me for this he's but like this is my ask. job this is what I'm here for I want to support you and help you grow yeah so it was it was him he helped me get through culinary school and uh pretty pretty great and you mentioned that your mom was Jewish and she was from eastern Kentucky she's from western she's Kentucky. from western Kentucky yep. did you were there any Jewish dishes that that infiltrated your home or was it not really was it southern cooking is there southern Jewish cooking is that a thing that exists or? yeah I mean we do a lot of southern Jewish cooking in my restaurant now but if you can picture like potato latkes with apple butter you know like I mean you know or uh, 
Is there a play on matzo ball soup that you do at your restaurant we right do. now? Yeah. We do. We do matzo ball soup. For a long time, we had to call them bread dumplings because mm-hmm. people were like, matzo balls, they weren't really in, they didn't know. Right. But um, we started doing, uh, we started calling after the, I cooked them on the show and won a big challenge in Macau, and I don't want to do spoilers for anybody, but um, yeah, now people want matzo ball soup all the time. That's awesome. Yeah. And so you've kind of, you've been able to obviously bring those things from your childhood and from your family into the restaurant. Of course, before you returned, you spent some time uh, in some big cities up up north and you were in Chicago and you were in New York and you spent time working with John Fraser. You were at Dovetail. All right, so we're back again. And um, Sarah, you were talking about making the move back to Paducah and opening up Freight House and the ideas and the thought process behind returning home and, and money played a factor. What else played a factor? Um, you know, I think another thing that played a factor is is just being close to my family. Every time that I took a new job from the time I finished, or the time I left home, I got farther and farther and farther away from Paducah uh, until I got up to New York City. And then I really wanted to be close to my family. I thought Chicago would be a little closer, but, you know, it just kept drawing me home. Uh, my mother and I work, she works in the restaurant every day with me. Um, we really are, you know, we're close and I just wanted to be there to see my siblings raising children and doing all that stuff. So it was, it was, a, it was an easy decision to come home. And how did you find the space for Freight House? So it's uh, it's an 80-seat restaurant, yep. and obviously you're there and your mom is there all the time. How did you make the determination about finding a space that really was going to let you accomplish what you wanted to, and how did the the surrounding areas and, and the town and the extended areas around it, how did they embrace you when you were coming back to open it up? You know, so um, we looked at about 40 properties in downtown Paducah before we decided on one. Um, you know, we almost signed leases. We almost bought one. We just kept looking and looking and looking. And then uh, somebody told us about this one. My folks and I, we went down there. We crawled through this little hole in the wall and opened up into this 100-year-old vegetable depot. So an old train station, uh, 40-foot ceilings. And I, I could just see it. The minute that I stepped in there, I could, I could picture it. So... It's awesome when a space just speaks to you and you think, this is the one. I know that I have to be here and I I know that I have to do it. So what year did you open? We opened in 2015. Um, You know, the building that we got was the old agricultural epicenter for kind of the whole tri-state region. Paducah is a river town. Um, it's, It's right where the four rivers meet. So the Kentucky, the Tennessee, the Mississippi, and the Ohio. And the Cumberland comes in right around there too. So... I mean, that's the river industry is what has always driven that. And, you know, we trains were coming in and they were sending vegetables out all over the area right there in Paducah. And I had the opportunity to purchase the building that for hundreds of years supported that uh, community. And so I jumped at it. So if there's rivers converging, I imagine it's a fertile area. I imagine you have access to a lot of wonderful agriculture. Can you talk a little bit about some local product that you interact with, um, some farmers that you're close with, and and how does that play into your menu conceptualization? I I am not familiar with what would be considered Kentucky cuisine, if there is such a thing. So if you could shed some light on that, that would be awesome. Um, I think it's, it's pretty cool. You know, when you are in a small town like that, in a small area, 
a lot of people, they're not growing for, you know, it's not like New York where, you know, we were fighting for stuff at the Green City Market, you know, in Chicago, we're fighting for stuff at the Green City Market. And in New York, you're going downtown and you're looking for stuff every day. Um, there, I am working with farmers a year in advance to have them plant specific things for me. And the joy of it is that I know exactly where my money goes. I know exactly where every penny goes, who gets it. I know the children of the farmers. It's really rewarding. Um, we have someone that just grows black-eyed peas for us. That's all they do. They grow probably, once we shell them, probably 600 pounds of black-eyed peas. That's what he does. And then he raises um, hogs for me. They're dirt-raised, acorn-fed. So, you know, we, we really have that opportunity to interact with each farmer. It seems like you kind of have this dream scenario that a lot of chefs talk about. They're like, if I could only just go home and buy an old building and just know all the farmers that I work with. So you really have kind of figured yeah. it out. Um, you've, you've returned home and you've kind of, you've made a place where the community can come together, right? And uh, what else do you do? I know you're involved in some philanthropic organizations that extend beyond the restaurant and just what you do in the kitchen. Can you speak a little bit about how you're involved in the community and what that entails? Yeah, so I have, a, we have a, a barbecue team that raises money for the um, restoration of a historic theater in downtown Paducah. Um, it also raises money for the Art House Cinema downtown. Um, you know, I do a lot of work combating, you know, food insecurities and um, within ch with children um, in the region. And, you know, you've got two options when you become a chef. One is to just stay in the kitchen and burn yourself out every day. The other one is to, like take advantage of what you've been given and you know a chef is from the outside a chef is that's a really glamorous job and so it's easy to get people on your side when they have a little bit of insight into what's going on so I just decided I would do that and try to get people you know give me some money let's do some good with it no don't just give me your money so we can eat great food but give me your money so that we can you know help our community be better and one of those ways to shine a light on the community and also to raise the profile of the restaurant is by doing media appearances and appearing on TV shows. And you had the opportunity to go on Top Chef. So yeah. you were on season 16. You did exceptionally well. We'd be remiss if we didn't talk about that experience yeah. since you were in McCall, which is pretty awesome. Oh, so, man, it was so super cool. Um, and you got to mix some of your flavors. You You made it to the finals, and so you got to do this amazing meal that was like sort of well, you should tell us, but your representation and you got to mix flavors together, things that you use at the restaurant, things yeah. that you had access to. Overall, if you can encapsulate what that Top Chef experience was like, I hope that it, you know, has helped the restaurant. So if you can speak on and what it worked out for you. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. My mother told me whenever they were asking me, do you want to do this show? Do you not? I could never decide. And my mother told me, Sarah, it is your civic duty to go on Top Chef. And I was like, what? And she's like, you are from Paducah. The love in Kentucky a lot of times goes to other big cities. She was like, think of all the good you can do by going on this show. Um, you know, my, my cooks get plenty of overtime every week because we're so busy now. My servers take home, you know, extra tips because we're so busy now. Um, it really has been, people come to Paducah to eat in the restaurant. You know, they gotta buy gas, they gotta stay in a hotel, they gotta go shop while they're there. So, you know, it really was, I looked at it as how can I do this and have a larger impact on my community and not just myself. 
And that was a driving force for me when I was on the show, you know? Do better, do well, don't mess this up. Let's see how far you can get. It's going to help everybody out. In the sort long of run. a lot of weight on your shoulders. I mean, it, it propelled you forward with great success, but also like you're really, truly playing for your city. I mean, when you're representing a restaurant in Chicago, people are thinking about other yeah. stuff. But I imagine when Top Chef came on, on everyone in Paducah was... Oh watching. man, I was playing for my state. Yeah, I, I was the I was the one I was the local girl. You know, I was the only one from Kentucky. Right. And I, I just wanted to show well for my state. So, yeah, it was it was weight on my shoulders. But I think that uh, you know, once I got that far and the weight was gone and it was lifted, I, I had this kind of breath and I said, you know what, I can do this for me now. I've proven that I am good and that the state is good and we have beautiful things. And I knew that Top Shelf would. Uh, show those and so once I got over to Macau I just really started cooking for myself and and did pretty well we'll close on this last question which is as you come up on basically year five you're about to enter into year six of your restaurant probably things are really coagulating and even out there are you looking forward to um, another project is there something that you're working on that might be brewing that you can talk about a little bit or are you just really kind of focusing on on Freight House right now you know, I have some dreams. I think every chef has dreams. I've got some dreams for something new, which we can't talk about yet. But um, I think that my next year is going to... I use this product, Asian Carp. It's an invasive species in our local waterways in Paducah. I take it to every event I go to, every festival. And I think that right now, my next year is going to be... You know, I've done a lot for the arts in my community. And I think that right now, I'm going to do a lot for sustainable fish in my community. Uh, you know, I have a fisherman that fishes just for me every day. And I would love to see his family flourish the way mine has because of you know, the attention that's been given to a product, the attention that Freight House has gotten from this show. So I think that sustainable fish is my drive for the next uh, next year. Chef Sarah Bradley from Freight House in Kentucky, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you so much. On Heritage Radio Network, we appreciate you taking your time to share your story. Of course. I hope you have fun with the rest of your events down here in Charleston. And, of course, everybody listening, where can they find you? Where's the website and how do they Yes, yeah, so um, it's, uh, I have an interesting uh, Instagram tag it's a Sarah human kale dog I think you know I had a dog named kale and I just thought I'm never going to change it I'll keep it um, but you can also find us at Freight House Food or you know FreightHouseFood.com you can come see us in Paducah cool drink some bourbon eat some food get down to Paducah go check her out everybody thanks for tuning in to this uh, episode of The Line live from Charleston we'll be back in a minute with more live content stick with us here on Heritage Radio Network this program is powered by Simplecast.